welcome to Becoming a Good Therapist, a podcast all about helping you build your confidence as a mental health professional, creating better outcomes for your clients, and really loving the important and life-changing work that you do. I'm Courtney Schroeder. I'm a limited licensed social worker, and I'm here to learn and grow right along with you as I share the lessons, tools, conversations, and steps that I'm taking that are helping me become a good therapist. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today, we're talking all about finding the function of a client's problem or exploring how the problem that they're coming to therapy for may actually be serving them in some way. I think in the mental health field, this is an idea that continues to become more common, and we're embracing the compassionate approach that doesn't see certain feelings, thoughts, or behaviors as simply wrong, but as important clues that something deeper is going on. We're realizing that there's a lot of value in getting curious about the possibility that certain problems may be attempts at self-protection or attempts at avoiding painful emotions or attempts at maintaining a sense of belonging with other people. These problems essentially may be solutions to deeper issues or needs that aren't being met. And that doesn't mean that it's the best solution or the right solution, because if our clients are coming to therapy for this issue, they're definitely suffering. But approaching this problem with this type of curiosity can help us better understand what might be at the root of this problem, and then we can find better ways to perhaps meet the underlying unmet needs in a way that doesn't create as much suffering. So I want to start by telling you a story from my own life to kind of illustrate this point. Um, Shortly after I graduated high school years ago, I had my first panic attack. And up until that point in my life, I hadn't really experienced anything like that. I maybe worried from time to time about some things, um, so experienced occasional anxiety just like anyone else, but I wouldn't really say that I struggled with anxiety. And just as you would expect anyone who is generally unfamiliar with the nature of emotions to do, at first I thought, okay, I'm just going to resist and fight this as hard as possible, right? Because in the material, physical world, this is what we do when we don't want something around. We can physically walk or run away from something or fight something or tell someone to go away. Um, We resist something and it usually results in successfully moving that thing from our environment, hopefully. But the brain works differently, and when we have an internal experience such as a thought or a feeling, the more we say, I don't want this, I need to get rid of this, it has the opposite effect, and it lingers more. And this is because when the brain is given information that something is a threat, it fixates on it. So our brain, above everything else, is a survival machine, and this is part of that programming. So it creates kind of a loop. The brain fixates on it more, that scares you more, so you resist it more, and then the brain fixates on it more, and so on. So that loop was a big reason I ended up having a panic attack in the first place. So I learned that I would need to take a different approach. Resisting my thoughts and feelings fueled my anxiety more, and it did the opposite of helping me. 
But in addition to that, I had a really hard time accepting that more generally that my brain and body were capable of feeling so unsafe and so scary to me. But one day I learned something that changed the course of my healing. And what I learned was that my brain and body were on my side the whole time. It didn't panic because it was broken or malfunctioning or trying to scare me. It did it because it was trying to protect me. Granted, the threat it was trying to protect me from was my own anxiety. So of course I actually was safe, but it was just doing what it has always done by trying to protect me. And I began to be able to accept this as part of my story, as part of what my brain and body were capable of. And I was even able to use gratitude as a way to manage my anxiety. So when I could feel my anxiety building, I would even thank my brain and say, thank you, I know you're on my side. I know that you're trying to protect me, but this anxiety that you want to protect me from is actually okay. It's safe. So I was able to find the function of the panic attacks. It was trying to protect me from something. Our brains are incredibly wise. There are so many years of evolution going into the way the brain functions. And this experience and my continued experience as a therapist and just as a human being continues to reinforce the respect I have for the way the brain-body system is so intelligent, even when it's doing things that are confusing to us. And I've come to believe more and more that when we have painful, lingering emotions or keep engaging in behaviors that are creating more suffering or having certain thoughts that just won't go away as much as we want them to, it's not because we're broken in some way, but that there's an important often really powerful reason why those things are there in the first place. So let's go through some other examples. Um, We talked about anxiety or panic more specifically and its function of trying to help keep us safe. So what about something like depression? It's possible that for some people, depression is a way to numb out to a life where it feels like they can't do anything to change really stressful circumstances. Anger is another self-protective emotion. It builds energy in our body as if we were going to fight or confront whatever it is we're finding problematic or threatening. Shame and guilt tell us that we have perhaps hurt someone or done something that goes against our values and the values of our social group and that we need to do something to make it right. These emotions are especially social. I think shame and guilt because they take into account social norms and expectations and they really drive us to stay within the bounds of those social norms or make a repair if we've somehow violated them so we can stay included in our circle. And as a side note, something I've heard about the difference between shame and guilt is that guilt is like saying I've done something bad like in court. Someone may go for a specific crime and it's determined if they're guilty or innocent. And shame is more of I am bad as a person. So what about some behaviors? Um, Substance use or other addictive behaviors can be really powerful ways of managing our emotional states and stopping us from feeling flooded and overwhelmed with pain. Dr. Gaber Mate, I think is how it's pronounced, forgive me if I'm wrong, Um, he's an expert on addiction and he's done some really incredible work revealing the link between trauma and addiction Um, and I think has brought a lot of understanding and compassion to this area. There's 
a 10-minute video on YouTube where he talks about the link between childhood trauma and addiction that is really powerful. And I can link that in the show notes um, for anyone who might be interested in that. Another example is self-harming. So on the surface, this might appear to be purely destructive, but what may be really going on is that someone is struggling with really overwhelming emotional pain and find that the only way to not feel so overwhelmed is to create physical pain. Um, Another example is creating conflicts or distancing ourselves from loved ones who we really do truly feel connected with or attached to. Um, even people who treat us lovingly. And so this is different than having boundaries and healthy distance from friends or family who mistreat us. But what about when things are going well and you pick a fight with your mom or maybe your partner? And this could be trying to protect us from being hurt, especially if we have been hurt by someone before when things were going well. It can be a way to avoid uncertainty And rather than risk the possibility of suddenly losing a loving connection, deciding it would be better off to disrupt it now. Of course, then we have the realm of thoughts as well. What could be the function of thoughts that create more suffering? So when we're thinking about exploring the function of certain thoughts, just like in the case of emotions or behaviors, we're focusing on ones that come up again and again and cause distress, things that we might go to therapy for. Not every thought we have is necessarily going to have a deeper function that needs to be uncovered. Our brains are always thinking, and there's a lot of value in learning to be mindful of our thoughts and being able to let certain thoughts come and go. Mindfulness is a really great skill to develop that many people find very beneficial for their mental health. So I just want to be clear that I'm not saying every thought needs to be analyzed for a deeper meaning. What I'm talking about is those repetitive thought patterns that come with a strong emotional charge that we find ourselves getting stuck on again and again. So one example of this might be self-critical thinking, a lot of self-judgment. Being internally critical of ourselves may, ironically, be a way for us to protect ourselves from feeling shame. We might believe, maybe unconsciously, that if we can be critical of ourselves now, we might be able to avoid doing anything that could invite criticism from other people in the future. Another example from my own life is when my son was born, I experienced a lot of scary thoughts about something bad happening to my child, as many new parents do. And these images and scenarios would flash in my mind frequently and sometimes were very upsetting. An example of this is that often when I would walk down the stairs with him, I would have a thought flash by of him getting hurt because I wasn't careful enough on the stairs. But I realized this actually made me walk down the stairs more carefully and that the thoughts were really trying to encourage me to ensure that he was safe. So it's no wonder that it can be so hard to just stop some of these thoughts and these behaviors and these feelings, especially when you look at sometimes the intense pain that is underneath them. Look at how important these solutions have been. You know, when we can get curious about the function of these behaviors instead of judging them, we can really understand what problem they're trying to solve. And when we can bring clarity to the problem or the unmet need underneath, we can begin to address it in a healthier way, in a more effective way. Something I've learned in my own supervision is that 
you really can't take away someone's defense without giving them another option. So some other solutions might be educating on distress tolerance or providing other emotion regulation tools, especially for someone engaging in self-harming behaviors. Um, Dialectical behavior therapy is great for this. Processing the trauma that might be driving an addiction. Helping someone process what happened in past relationships that continues to drive them to avoid closeness with other people. These are just a few examples of what you can do with the information as you get an idea of how the problem is a solution to something deeper. So think about your clients and the problems that they're coming to you with. How can that problem actually be a solution to something? What might be the unmet need or unmet needs underneath? Maybe protecting from vulnerability, from overwhelming emotions, from rejection. Is their solution actually creating more suffering or less suffering? What other ways can they meet their unmet needs or at least work towards meeting them more effectively? If it is something that you want to explore more in session, asking a question like, what might be the hardest part of no longer fill in the blank? What might be the hardest part of no longer getting so angry or what might be the hardest part of no longer lashing out, no longer reaching for alcohol, whatever it might be. Um, And that could really reveal some valuable information for both of you. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone else who may find it helpful too. If you have any ideas for topics that you would really like to see on this podcast, um, feel free to send me an email at CourtneySchroeder.msw at gmail.com. I would love to hear your um, ideas and take care and I will see you next time. Bye.